0: Welcome to Contendercast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahneman. Thanks for downloading, it's Justin Hahneman. It's the Contender Cast, and we are shining a light on bright ideas. And today I am super excited because Liz Bohannon is on the podcast today talking about Seiko designs, her company, her products. You guys are gonna love the story. And so, Liz, it is awesome having you on.
1: I'm so grateful to be on and
0: excited <laughs> to chat. I am too. I've been looking forward to this one for a couple of weeks, and I had so much fun doing like my research on you and your company and just you know how you developed it. And I can't wait for you to share that story. So let's dive in. So so talk about how you built Seiko Designs and how you got this idea from you know getting out of college and going to Uganda.
1: Yeah. So when I was in university, I was studying journalism and became increasingly interested in issues that were facing women and girls living in extreme poverty and in conflict and post-conflict zones. Um, but, you know, like a Part for the course, graduate, graduated from college, needed to get a job, couldn't necessarily find anything that um, aligned with uh, these big dreams that I had and took a job at a big uh, corporate communication firm. And about three months into that job, kind of had this realization um, that I wanted to go and be on the ground and really learn about the issues that were facing women and girls living in extreme poverty and kind of um, realizing that if I wanted to stay passionate and interested, about this cause and not kind of just leave that behind in my college days and go on and, and build kind of a, a life here in America that I needed um, to make a pretty big shift. And so I quit my corporate job and I bought a one way plane ticket.
0: Uh, seriously. One way, like you're going and not coming back. Wow.
1: And um, I, I was really open to where my path would take me and um, didn't have a job, didn't have anything, didn't even have a volunteer position lined up, but just figured, okay, my my job, at least for the foreseeable future is just going to go and and to, to just learn as much about the issues actually facing women and girls living in extreme poverty, conflict and, and post-conflict zones. And so I showed up in Uganda and did exactly that. I started learning. I started just trying to build a, a community of of uh, friends there in Uganda, and while I was there, I met an incredible group of young women in between high school and university, wow. um, and these young women were um, getting ready to graduate from high school from a really academically rigorous program, and so we're talking top 5% of students in the country, and despite that, um, they were getting ready to enter into a, a nine-month gap year in between high school yeah, and college. Yeah, of course, yep. Um, is is countrywide, and many of these young women I came to learn, just kind of through friendship and community building, um, is that they were going to go back home to their villages, and a lot of them would really, really struggle to find jobs during their gap year to finance their education. Sure. And on top of that, they were losing a lot of the social support that they had experienced over. The last few years, being in this really academically rigorous program with other women who were equally as gifted and talented um, as they were, and so they would go back into their villages and face a ton of stress to get married and to start having kids and dowry and bride price and uh, all this crazy stuff, and so um, I became bound and determined to figure out a way to make sure that. These, you know, 25 of the brightest women in the country um, didn't kind of fall into that path and had had a more sustainable kind of pathway and launch pad into university and then eventually beyond to become leaders in their community. And so um, I tried a couple of different things that didn't really work. Wanted (laughs) to kind of start a, a nonprofit and then became really, really convinced that I wanted to be engaged in creating a marketplace, kind of financially sustainable. Solution That would not only benefit these young women, but would be a player in the overall economy as sure. well. Um, it's kind of growing industry and infrastructure in the marketplace is a huge piece of kind of the development puzzle that oftentimes and specifically with Americans can get really left out of the um, equation. And so I
0: wanted to create jobs, and I tried to start a chicken farm that failed. pretty um, <laughs> Okay, hold on, hold on. Uh, we can't just blow past that. All right. First of all, before you you tell the whole story. Okay, I think some of our listeners are like, wait, she got on a plane and didn't know like where she was going. Like, I, so how did you know like what to do when you landed? Like, where to go? How to get engaged? Did you had you done a lot of research or like how did that start? No, no
1: nothing. <laughs> I literally knew nothing. I bought my plane ticket. I left maybe three weeks later. Wow. I had the phone number of one woman that I knew that um, I went to university with that was living in Uganda at the time. Um, I mean, literally, I didn't. I showed up, got into the airport at probably 11 p.m. And uh, my friend, really an acquaintance at the time, that was supposed to pick me up, didn't show up for like an hour and a half until probably after midnight. (laughs) Nice. Welcome to Um,
0: to Uganda. Right.
1: And so I just knew from the beginning, it was like, okay, I kind of just have to, I've got to follow leads and rabbit trails and be really open to having conversations and asking interesting questions and trying to meet the people that I um, am supposed to be meeting and kind of everything grew from there. But no, when I when I showed up in Uganda, I, I literally had a single phone number and a backpack and that was about it.
0: That is amazing. I mean, think about, and I'm, I'm sure you've already <laughs> had this conversation many times, but the number of people that would actually do that, right? I mean, most people follow a more traditional path, right? And then look at where this has led you. It's pretty amazing. And we're going to get to that story. Okay, hold on. So let's talk about now the chicken farm. You got to tell the story.
1: You know, it was honestly <laughs> a pretty half-baked idea. Here I was, this super idealistic journalism student who had no interest or really vision for kind of thinking about how business could be used to kind of create social justice change sure. um, and so <laughs> when i kind of had this mindset shift that i really wanted to create um, more of a marketplace solution uh, i i honestly it was like great here here's my market research it seems like people here love chickens you know it's, there's chickens in the market and this guy's riding a motorcycle and has a hundred live chickens on the back of it. Let's <laughs> raise and sell chickens. Um, and it wasn't very long into that that I realized that the economics and kind of scale equation of poultry farming wasn't exactly, um, going to work for this situation. Right, of I'm course. actually now a really big believer. I think, I think, uh, agriculture is an amazing, um, pathway towards development and you get a lot of bang from your for your buck, but um there there's a certain scale at which that starts to make sense. And for nineteen year old Ugandan women, we couldn't generate the revenue that we needed to send them on yeah. to university with that model. And so had to had to pivot, if you will,
0: <laughs> So but you learned how to how to raise chickens, right? You probably didn't hadn't done that before, I'm guessing.
1: I had <laughs> not I had no experience in that. Um, I, I wish that I could say that that part of my story has led me to be, you know, some kind right. of really <laughs> successful urban farmer. I right. do live in Portland. So, yep. you know, we have the, the requisite chickens, um, <laughs> but it's, it's not a big part
0: of my life anymore. (laughs) No, I totally get it. All right. So you pivot and somehow, and I can't wait to hear about this part, you decide you're going to start designing footwear, right? And sandals. So how did this happen? Because this certainly seems to have led to the growth in your business, obviously. But how did this begin and how did you figure it out?
1: Yeah, honestly, designed a pair of sandals is giving me probably more credit than I deserve. (laughs) I had made a pair of sandals. When I was in university, literally my my thought process was, man, I'd love a pair of flip flops that don't flop, and uh, <laughs> right. got a pair of like rubber flip flops, kind of tore them up, added some ribbons and and straps to them, um, and made these sandals. And at the time, I just I didn't have any interest in fashion, to be completely honest with you. And so for me, it was just totally a functional a functional thing. Now I have a pair of flip flops that don't flop. So when I was in Uganda, kind of living and working and thinking and dreaming about what is something we could do or make, um, we can employ women to do here and, uh, put in, you know, sell back in the U.S. One of my friends from back home was actually um, like, well, what about those kind of funky strappy sandals that we right. made <laughs> uh, when we were in college? And yeah. at that point, it was like, great, like it kind of checked off a few boxes of like there's a the possibility that we could do it, you know, with locally sourced materials, sandals seem simple enough that we could, you know, teach women how to make them. Of course, things that all had I known and had I not been incredibly naive about that, you know, no, manufacturing footwear actually isn't really low hanging fruit. Right. That's it's quite not so a, simple. <laughs> right. Uh, quite a difficult endeavor. But I'm actually incredibly grateful that at the time I had no idea. I'm sure it seems pretty easy. And by the time I realized I was wrong, I was far enough in that that was the path that we were on.
0: So how did you go from, you know, that sounds like a neat idea to, you know, heading back or doing it there and figuring out, you know, I should try these materials and uh, and this kind of design and and have people actually try to put them together. How did that work out?
1: I mean, it was like, there is just zero magic to it. I mean, it was literally just like, get on a bus, go to the center of the city, follow leads, ask questions, try to find materials, get the materials, do a really, really rudimentary kind of hack job on prototyping things and figure out, okay, how do I make that a little bit better, a little bit faster, a little bit cleaner, a little bit more durable or high quality. um, And then kind of just iterating and iterating until I got something that felt like, okay, this isn't, you know, this isn't what I dreamed of, but it's it's good enough. You know, and I think just kind of speaking of lessons learned as an entrepreneur, I think one of my my greatest takeaways is that so often we're so obsessed with perfection. And the reality is um we just need to get our products and our our ideas out into the market. And if if they're viable and if there's something to it, then we can iterate, we can continue to kind of perfect and get better. But Um, you know, I feel really convinced that had I, had I gone for perfect with that first round, Seiko never would have gotten Right. We wouldn't
0: be sitting here today. And I'm sure you hear this from so many others that have an idea. They either don't take action on it or they take action and try to perfect it and never get to market with it. And they just give up on it.
1: Exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> All right. So you're employing over 50 people just on, right? And in Uganda, but then you, you expand into what Ethiopia and Kenya and to some of the other products that you, you offer in terms of leather goods and whatnot. So how did you go from, you know, I'm doing sandals and footwear to these other areas
1: yeah you know so once we kind of established our manufacturing in uganda um we realized that in order to have a really kind of sustainable brand on the retail side of things that we didn't want to be an item business meaning we didn't want to just sell one product one skew we really wanted to be and honestly really from from pretty early on we wanted to be a lifestyle brand And that being said, kind of started looking around and and realizing that there were going to be some things that really made sense for us to kind of grow our production and manufacturing in-house and then other things that it just, it didn't make sense to do that and that we needed to kind of keep a core competency in-house and then really started to think about, okay, well, I'm sure that there are other artisans and producers, and, and I was definitely right, all around East Africa who may have access to beautiful raw materials or have a really interesting cultural skill set where they actually have, have the ability to make a product that's really beautiful and high quality, but need some partnership when it comes to designing and developing a product for the Western market. And then, of course, distributing that in the West. You know, it's like you meet a lot of people traveling through Africa who are like, I could make the product. I just need someone to sell it. Um, that don't necessarily realize that selling a product in America is really difficult. <laughs> totally <laughs>
0: challenging, really right? To get into retail stores it. and whatnot.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, um, and so that kind of started the journey of traveling around the continent and finding um, suppliers that were creating jobs for um, locals in their communities and making really interesting products. Um, but going in and saying, okay, how can we take kind of the basis of what you're doing, this skill set, this raw material design something for my customer, for my market back in the U.S., and then start a production partner partnership. So we now have, we have partners all over Africa, and we are um, actually this fall we will be expanding globally outside the continent to South America, which we're really excited about, um, and continuing to find um, producers and manufacturers around the world that kind of abide by these ethical manufacturing principles that have become very important to us um and in kind of building out a full lifestyle brand
0: I, lo- I love the story okay so and let's talk about you mentioned manufacturing and distribution so yeah, you know, you've, you've built a multi-million dollar company now so how did you go from I've got cool products. These products are products we think people will like to getting them into market, getting them into different channels. I'll call it for customers to buy and start building out, I'll say, um, the product distribution and availability.
1: Yeah. I mean, in the very beginning, it was pure Web. I sold them to my friends. Oh, and nice. I,
0: <laughs> nice. You know,
1: hosted little trunk shows in people's homes or at their church or book club. I mean, my first ever trunk show was actually before I even left Uganda at, um, the wives of a bunch of, um, people that worked for the embassy had a book club. Um, and I came to their book club and kind of shared the story and they all tried on sandals. And so really it was kind of this in-person model and then, um, and built out a a super janky website to be complete. I mean, it was like bare, (laughs) bare minimum. And then
0: I don't think I've used the word janky in a long time. By the way, <laughs> I, <love laughs> I like that. that. I might have to Just start using that. Bring
1: back the, <laughs> the nostalgia. I love um, it. And then, and then, you know, the really the only thing that I knew at the time to build a retail brand was to go kind of the traditional wholesale route, and so spent we spent we spent years building out our wholesale uh, distribution channel at first, just kind of cold calling, driving to accounts, doing in-person shows, eventually going to trade shows and kind of getting into that. And then really just in the last couple of years, sat back and really evaluated our distribution and retail side of things and kind of asked this question of like, okay, you know, it's working. We were distributing Mm. online about, you know, maybe 60% of our revenue was coming online We had about 40% of our revenue coming from maybe 500 wholesale accounts across the country. Uh, and, And it was good, but just really kind of thinking through, is there a way that we could be thinking about our retail business that is as innovative and interesting and mission aligned as we think about the production and manufacturing side of our business? So one of the kind of questions we asked is, can we be making, you know, if our whole mission as a company is to create, community and opportunity for, uh, for women. Um, is there a way that we can use the retail side of our business to to do that as well? And, and came back with the answer of like, yeah, we, we think we could be doing that better and really started to hear from, you know, hundreds of women across the country who would reach out and who were really interested in wanting to have careers and jobs and, um, and spend their time and their energy on something that felt really purposeful and felt like it really, made an impact and aligned with what they believed about the world. And so um, about two years ago, we made by far the riskiest business decision that we've ever made and decided to pull our products off the shelves of those 500 stores and instead put them in the hands of uh, impact entrepreneurs, women in their communities, and say, okay, you, you're you the retailer now. So you will share the story and educate the customers and do social media and host events and and really kind of own the retail marketing side of things we're providing you obviously with the product and the brand and the impact but um you know partner with us to kind of make this full circle impact model work um and it's been incredible the last two years and the first full year of going um direct to consumer through what we call our seiko fellows we did more in revenue than we had ever done through the wholesale channel really (laughs) just discovered a product market fit in a way that we hadn't had before and so we're kind of kind of all in on that. Our team just got back today. Um, is all back together again. We took a group of 12 of our sellers over to Uganda to meet the production team and and really kind of align both sides of our company. And they get to see, here's how the product's made and here are the women that make it. Um, And our team in Uganda gets, you know, really gets a vision for Here's who's out selling the product. It's really cool. Immense appreciation for uh, both sides of the business. You know, our our sales team looks at our production team, and they are in awe of um, you know, of how they make these beautiful products. And our production team is so grateful and excited, and in all of our <laughs> for the
0: sales team, exactly.
1: And building the brand, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So I think one of the things I my observation is that I see very few companies that are so well I'll say aligned around a, a clear vision, uh, the why and the mission, you know, in terms of what you're accomplishing and then linking that down to operations. A lot of startups especially lack that. They may have a what the why, they're you know, thing they're trying to address, but then they may or may not have the the mission and the operational alignment and I think that's something you guys do extremely well. <laughs>
1: Thank you. I really, I really appreciate that. It is something that, you know, one of the things that we say at Seiko is uh, no margin, no mission. And margin for us really encap- encapsulates the whole business operations, finance side of the business. If we're not running a great, uh, you know, operationally well-tuned in um, business that has a lot of integrity kind of on the backside where all of the nitty gritty and the nuts and bolts run, then we're not going to be able to continue to grow our impact. So. It's incredibly important to us that we have alignment on both of those things.
0: Yeah. And, and for those of you that, that don't know Seiko, um, I mean, what you've offered now over a hundred scholarships to, to women through your fellows program and pretty amazing in terms of um, feeding them back to education, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to our full-time staff, we've had over a hundred women who have gone through our university bound program, which means they worked with us during their gap year, earned enough money to continue on to university and are um, either in college pursuing their degrees or they've graduated and they're out in the marketplace and becoming leaders in their community.
0: That's just awesome. All right. Before we go, give us one or two big lessons learned you know, in terms of your growth. You've shared a couple of things you know, along the way in your story here, but if there was one or two things you would, you'd want to share with other entrepreneurs out there, others that are thinking of, of doing something like this or related, what would those things be?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think the concept of kind of iteration and, in uh, slaying the mythical unicorn of perfection and going for good enough and, and kind of being committed to continuous improvement, um, is a big thing. Focus is so important. I meet a lot of really young entrepreneurs who, whether that's young in their businesses or, or actually young who, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. Um, and if especially when it comes to mission. One of the things that I've learned is that it's really having a business that truly is um, really mission aligned and impact oriented is, is adds a level of complexity to your business that, um, that is significant. And that in order to make that um, actually doable and, and, to excel and to excel in any area, you've got to be pretty ruthlessly focused to who are we, What is the main thing that we care about and making sure that, you know, you're not getting sidetracked by a lot of things that, you know, sound really great. um, But in the end, um, we'll kind of create this unfocused.
0: Right. Like sideways energy.
1: Yeah. Focus and impact. Um, And so being being really committed to focus, I think, is another really important part of it.
0: That's Awesome. This has just been such a great conversation. I, I know there's so many great takeaways from it. So, share with us before you go, though. How can our listeners find you? How can they engage with you and whatnot?
1: Yes, you can find us at www.seco, and that's s-s-e-k-o-designs.com, um, where we would love for you to browse our full catalog of incredible lifestyle goods. We do everything from footwear to apparel to jewelry um you can host a trunk show which is an amazing (laughs) way to engage in the brand and earn free product and product credit so you can make an impact for women and girls in east africa and uh earn free free goods for yourself um and then of course joining us by becoming a fellow and actually really joining kind of the insider team of of impact entrepreneurs here in the U.S. that are driving um, really all of our impact and growth
0: in East Africa now. That is awesome. Well, Liz, it has been so great having you on the podcast. Thanks so much for jumping on.
1: Yeah, likewise. It was great to connect. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us on The Contender Cast. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store,
1: the Google Play Store, spotify and other preferred podcast
0: platforms if you would like to be a guest on the contender cast connect with us at contenderbrands.com this is brian benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender